Welcome to Ira's Everything Bagel, where I talk with intriguing people about everything, their passions, pursuits, and points of view. My guest today is a little fishy, but in a luxurious way. She's Nina Manchev, the caviar queen and owner of Caviar Collective, which ships nationwide and aims to make caviar accessible, and Forte Tapas, located in Las Vegas, which she opened at age 22. For everything about Caviar Collective, go to caviarcollective.com, and for Forte Tapas, go to barforte.com, and you can follow both on Instagram. Anita, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. So before we talk about the restaurant, why did you decide caviar was a great business given most people's budgets? And I mean, it's a luxury food item, but clearly people love caviar. Yeah. Well, some people are surprised to find out that we've been in this uh, business for almost like 18 years now. So in directly, indirectly, in some sort of fashion, my dad was doing it in um, like the early 2000s and kind of took a break. And then we rebooted kind of around the time that I um, opened the restaurant because it was it was just this really amazing product. And it comes from Bulgaria, you know, where I'm from. So right. it, it's kind of, you know, I'm, I'm very proud to showcase these luxury items. And when I tell people Bulgaria, like a lot of people don't know where Bulgaria is. They're surprised to find out that there's even like caviar there because <laughs> you know, they're used to it coming from different parts, other parts of the world where it's more well known in that respect. But I mean, I, I ultimately, you know, being on the on the restaurant side, being on the distribution side, being on all these different things, I'm I'm always curious to see what people like and how they relate to the product. And, you know, we had a really good product and it was just about getting it in people's hands and them trying it. And then we started working with Robichon at MGM and Mr. Robichon, rest in peace, when he was when he was around, he took a liking to us and we started doing really good business with them over there. And then it just expanded over over the time. Well. I want to give people a, a sense of the caviar from Bulgaria. You're, you were born in Bulgaria, you moved to Las Vegas, and that's a whole story in itself, which we'll get to. But where in Bulgaria does the caviar come from? We've heard of the Caspian Sea and uh, Odessa and places where theoretically caviar comes from, but where does it come from in Bulgaria? So it's, a, it's in central Bulgaria. It's in like a pristine kind of like near the mountain area, but there's a big, there's a big lake over there and it's all farmed. So it's not, it's, it's a sustainable product, which I think is important. And that's why there was a lot of shortages and, and not the best products on the market because, you know, and with overfishing and taking away from like the natural ecology and getting these animals that are just basically like surgeons are bottom feeders. So unless you're farming them, they're just eating whatever's in their natural environment. Right. Right. So with ours, because the farmer takes such great care in raising these animals and taking care of them, it's a high quality product, like from the feed to, you know, the conditions, the purification, everything like is on point, which then adds to, you know, the higher ticket price and that sort of thing. But for the most part, we've been able to keep our prices pretty stable for all of our clients. So it's an appealing food. And for people who have not tried caviar, it, it does evoke images of luxury and status and prestige, etc. Yeah. These days, you mentioned about being farm-raised, which I never thought about before, but I guess that makes sense because, as you say, especially on a high-quality product, you can control the quality of it and the taste of it, if that's the term, but that it is 
it's dependable as a supply. Yes, absolutely. You know, over over the years, the, the, the farmer also recontributes back to like the natural ecology. So he actually, you know, breeds the the sturgeons from like hatchlings, whatever. And then whatever he takes, he also contributes back into the wild as well. So it's like, you know, the circle keeps completing. And a lot of people don't know Bulgaria has over seven different species of, I think five or seven different species of sturgeon that are in the Black Sea or that hail from the Black Sea. Because in that area, it was all one body of water, the Caspian, the Black Sea. And then there was another sea over there that that's more towards, uh, you know, Russia and that sort of thing. So it all split off. So everything kind of split off together. When you opened your restaurant, which is called Forte Tapas, and what intrigued me about your restaurant, and it's based in Las Vegas, for those of you who live in Las Vegas, it features East European food. And I have to tell you that I'm sure most people growing up, when they think of European food, it's more West European. So it's great that you're introducing cuisine into Las Vegas from East Europe that is obviously very tasty. and it's just different. So how did you decide that that was the way you were going to go when you opened up the restaurant? You know, I grew up eating home-cooked meals and a lot of it, you know, my dad cooked for us growing up and every single night was something different. So I, I you know, I'm inspired by by trying these different cuisines and stuff. So when, I'll give you a backstory. When Forte sure. opened for a lot of uh, Spanish cuisine. So it was like tapas, small plates, you know, more of like this European fusion, which was very confusing for people because you can't do that. Like you cannot put those things together. Right. right. And But you still, still have the name Forte Tapas. So the tapas is still there. Forte Tapas. <laughs> because, you know, when I, when I opened it, I didn't want something that was ethnocentric. I didn't want it to just be a place for Bulgarians or just a place for Americans. You know, I want, I, I wanted everybody to come together and have something that they might enjoy and, and create this kind of experience that's different in, in Vegas and not like hard stamp over and over again replicated. Yeah, I could just see them arguing if it was just Bulgarian, everybody coming to the restaurant arguing about the Cold War, just because yeah. of the background. Oh, there, were like, there were like so many stereotypes in the beginning. And that's another <laughs> thing that I wanted to do is like, there, you know, stereotypes obviously exist because of some reason or another, but it's also because people aren't familiar and right. they're not as exposed to it. So I wanted to show that Bulgarian cuisine is more than just meat and potatoes, which was what people think like people a lot of people just don't know that it's very similar to like Mediterranean cuisine and it's a lot of uh you know a, a lot of vegetables a lot of you know different traditions and things like that around the holidays that you prepare different foods and you know over the last couple of years I started feeling like you know what I want to I want to push our cuisine even further like I want to push Eastern European cuisine even further and put a spin on it that's like more approachable for everybody and we don't change the names. So the names are a little hard to pronounce for some of the dishes. But other than that, like everyone's really excited to to try the different foods. Do you find that you get any blowback from traditionalists or those that feel that you're by creating it and making it more accessible that you're taking away from that that hardcore Bulgarian food? Do you get any feedback from from the native Bulgarians? So not really because you know, making something mainstream doesn't mean you're taking away from the authenticity of it, you know, but maybe instead of just having like a huge plate of something, there's more thoughtful, more like it, there's, 
there's more intention and thoughtfulness in how you're presenting the food, how you're preparing it, the ingredients that you're using, that sort of thing. So I think that's what makes it, you know, more appeasing, like for like the visual sense. And then when you eat it, it's like, it's, it's very traditional. So the opposite question, which would be, do you get positive feedback from some of the people who are more traditional and they come in and try it? They go, oh, you know what? I understand what you're doing here. Yeah, you know, the, the, we do. And and the biggest thing is, uh, you know, some people come and, you know, they're, they're like, this is exactly how my grandma used to make it. This is, you know, this soup is, you know, reminds me of home or they're, they're second, third generation. And, you know, they, they've experienced some taste of it in their childhood and it brings them back. And some people are like, well, this is not, this is not traditional borscht. And I'm like, okay, well, where are you from? And they say, oh, I'm from here. And I'm like, well, what, what part of here are you from? <laughs> I'm make it. Like everyone has their own variation. Just like I was on another podcast and this young woman was talking about how she grew up eating stroganoff, but for her, that was stroganoff the way her, her grandma used to make it. That's what it is, but it right. had nothing to do with like maybe what the authentic one is. Right. So everyone has their own variation of something. But yeah, absolutely. And it's good to mix it up anyway, because you by putting a twist on it from your side, it may introduce someone who never thought about it that way before, and they like it. So, And, and in Bulgaria, it's not uncommon to go to one of these, you know, more like the newer restaurants, and and they're, they're beautifully decorated, and you can have... Musaka, sushi, and maybe a burger in the same place, right? <laughs> and it's nice and it's and it's creative. So the, I think as the world is getting more connected with social media and like people, uh, the fusion of different cuisines, it's not as taboo anymore. But in in two thousand nine, it was very taboo. How did you end up in Las Vegas? In other words, did you move here with your family, or did you decide on your own? You know, I'm going to go here and and do what? You know, when I was three years old, I made up my mind and I said, you know what? I'm taking the plane and I'm coming to the... <laughs> no, so I've been, I've no been here I heard it was that you took a three-year-old plane to Las Vegas. So. I took a three-year-old plane. <laughs> um, well, it was like, like 1989, 1990, my parents started immigrating. So they immigrated to the United States, went to Chicago, and then I joined them maybe like a year after with my grandma. My grandma and I flew over to the States and... We lived in Chicago for about a year and then moved to Vegas. And I think it was just my parents got tired of being in the same climate as they were in Bulgaria and shoveling snow and all this stuff. And Vegas was a relatively new and expanding town and they wanted to, you know, come and see. So there's some of the first big wave of immigrants that were coming into Vegas, like in the early 90s. And then you decided at some point to go to UNLV University of Nevada, Las Vegas mm -hmm. and... Did you know you were going to open a restaurant when you started at UNLV? You know, I, I've always had so many different ideas of what I've wanted to do. I I can't say that I had that moment when I was going to high school where I'm like, I want to have a restaurant. But I there are memories of me and my parents will tell you of being like in elementary school, middle school, and then working and then coming home and me preparing like a menu, like a handwritten menu, you know, just to make them feel special because I knew that when we went out to restaurants or when we got together for a meal, that was a special time, you know? So it's, it's things like that where it wasn't like, I want to open a restaurant that came later, but things like that, that were kind of getting me closer and closer and closer to that direction. 
you know. You studied hospitality, food, and beverage at UNLV, so you must have had in your back of your mind some sort of involvement in the industry, right? Yeah. So when I was when I was going to high school, there was I don't know if it's still around, but we had what was called the Millennium Scholarship. So you get a scholarship basically to go either to UNLV or Reno. And UNLV was the best hospital. I think it was UNLV and Cornell that were the top hospitality schools. And I never really had any desire to leave or, you know, spread my wings or go somewhere else. You know, I felt very happy here. And I liked uh, the opportunities that could have come with it. And it's and I worked all the way through college as well and started at UNLV. But I didn't know exactly what I wanted to do. And I remember I went to this uh, trip of Western Europe with with UNLV and Cornell, actually, and got to go to Spain, got to go to all these different countries and was just just blown away and inspired by the food, inspired by how people are inter- interacting with each other, the values that they have and and connecting. And, you know, especially in Spain, when one o'clock arrives, like you can't find anybody on the streets because people are together. They're having, you know, a snack or something. and. And I continued with that. I wish that I, I wish that I chose a different major because I think the hospitality element, that's just a big part of me and who I am. So I wish I kind of studied something a little bit different. And also I chose hospitality because it was the one with the least amount of math because I'm like, oh, you know what? <laughs> There's not that much math involved. And guess what? <laughs> well, there, there is when you're figuring out the profit margin on a portion of food. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. So, so the the math and administrative stuff takes over most of the things but i love being creative in this in this field no that's great so you you graduate and then at that point you decide to open a restaurant or still you have other adventures before you get to the to the restaurant no i was i was still in i was still in school and i had just come back from from this trip and i quit my job at the hotel because i i, I originally wanted to do uh hotel design but for boutique properties because I thought the the atmosphere and the, the the experience that boutique hotels created was very special and like fun and whimsical and you can do a lot more things and it's not such a corporate kind of environment. And I went and worked uh, for my parents a little bit. We opened like a small delicatessen that was behind the strip. And then I was, we were doing some sort of classwork at UNLV and the project was design your own restaurant. And I told my dad, I was like, you know what? I think, I think I want to do this. Like, this would be so fun to have a restaurant. He's like, well, you're not going to get anywhere by thinking, let's go start looking at spaces. So. Wow. He was decisive. No, but he's always like that when you put something in his head and I, you know, I have that in me as well, but he is very confident in that. And I wasn't, I was like, well, I'm not ready. He's like, you're never going to be ready. Like, let's just, <laughs> let's just start, let's just start looking. And you know what? I, I, it just happened. And now when I look back on it, I'm like, how did I even, how, how did I even do this? Because now every small little thing, I'm like cautious and, you know, I have to think about it. But back then I was just fearless and there was no reason in my mind that it wasn't going to work. So it was like that young, unexperienced naivety. I think that's what kind of. <laughs> Helps yes. like eliminate all that. At the same time, backed by your dad, in other words, who encouraged you, and he, he wasn't naive, but he clearly motivated you to say, you know what, just jump in the pool and figure it out afterwards. Some some of the biggest lessons I've learned from my dad and through my dad, and just like, you know how how 
you have to create your own path and you have to do the things that you want to do and you can't let anybody, you know, stand in the way of that. And, you know, he let me, he let me burn, you know, he let me learn the lessons. He was there to encourage me, but also to be realistic. And I remember when I opened it, you know, that was my first experience having to deal with criticism, you know, and having to deal with how that makes me feel. And like, if I'm even doing the right thing and, you know, maybe three years into it, I was like, I don't think this is for me. I think nobody understands this. This is never going to work. You know, I had the chefs that were in the kitchen. They left. They're like, this place is going to close down in a a year. It's done. And then I took like a little break and I'm sitting at a coffee shop and I'm like, I'm done. This is, this is pointless. Like no one's going to get it. It's going to take years. Like it's, it's just stupid. It's a stupid idea. And I get an email from the production company for Food Network's Diners, Drive-Ins, and Dives. And I'm like, this is a joke. Like, this is, <laughs> can't be real. And I'm like looking around for a hidden camera. I'm like, just when I made the decision to get out of here and to stop this, this comes on. And you know what? That show that show changed our whole, our whole path, you know, where That's people the- were coming into the restaurant and they weren't like, oh, this is weird. I don't know. I don't get it. They were people from all across America were coming in. They're like, I want the Bulgarian mixed grill. I want what guy had. I want this, this, this. They were like very excited about the experience. Okay. So here's the thing. It obviously changed everything, but you still had the guts to play a joke on Guy when he came in to do the show. Uh-huh. And did, was it the production crew that got you to do it? Yes. And can yeah. you tell our listeners I had, what it I had was? Zero, I had zero guts. I was, I was so nervous. It was like <laughs> your dream coming true and... And it happening and like, I, I was, I was scared out of my mind and so nervous, but the last, cause you know, cause they filmed for more than one day and the last day that they filmed, they're like, well, guys coming in today. And we told him that you and your dad don't speak English because <laughs> he's like so good at working with people. He'll be able to, to handle himself. And we did the prank and afterwards he's like, I, you know, I could not understand how I'm walking into this restaurant and this young woman's going to UNLV and opened a restaurant and can't speak any English. She's like, <laughs> like, what did you guys get me into with this? You know? And that was your dad that came out was yelling and yes. Yeah, that was great. You have to watch it. If you go to Nina's website, you can find it. It's on there and also just on YouTube itself. So yeah, that was great. When, so, that, when also when that happened, I was like, when it came out, I'm like, oh, no, like, what are the Bulgarians <laughs> going to say? Do we look stupid? Are we like, the, you know, feeling the fire of like the stereotypes and all that stuff? But people coming in, they're like, where's your dad? Oh, you guys played a prank. So it became like a, a positive thing. And most of the time, it was just me worrying more about things than other people were concerned about. Well, you, your timing was great because you I don't want to give it away. But if you just go to barforte.com, you'll see the YouTube video under the press tab. And it's it's very funny. I enjoyed that one. I, I wasn't sure where it was going, and it was like, oh my, okay, that that worked out very well. It was, it was a lot of fun. So that was a watershed for you in that sense that all of a sudden now people are coming into the place that had never heard of it before. Yep. And yeah, that that's that's interesting that it has that kind of an impact. And you've been going strong ever yeah. since. So what you, what that, you, that was in 2012. So so from. 10 years running, they keep re-airing the show, re-airing the show. People, in, people have the application where they mark, if they're going to Vegas, they're like, I want to go to this. They follow him around everywhere. So that's, it's huge. Like the impact yeah. that something like this yeah. has. So 
Because people listen to us all over the place, do you have a rough idea of the percentage of your customers, how many are local and how many are from out of town? Because of not only that that television replay, but just in general, because of people knowing about the restaurant. Uh, depending on the on the season and what's going on, you know, right now is uh, uh, we have a lot of conventions in town, so maybe about half and half, which is which is great. We're getting a lot of people from out of town, a lot of big groups and visitors. And during the holidays, it's great because what happens sometimes is someone visiting Vegas will tell someone who lives here, "Oh, I heard about this great spot. Let's go." And that person that lives here didn't even know about us. So it's the out of towners introducing, you know, the yeah, it's a reverse. That are in town, they're like, if you want to try something different, let's go to Forte. It's a different kind of vibe, different cuisine, and it's like a special kind of place for people. And do you find too that once they discover you, that you get repeat business from people? Yes, I think I think so. We're very big on on authentic hospitality, taking care of people, not not a cold, like transactional, right. you know, sort right. of sort of Which thing. Which unfortunately so, a lot of restaurants are. Yes. My, my chef, my chef's been with me for, for 13 years. So I think that says a lot, you know, and other people in the, in the, in the kitchen, most, my turnover isn't high on people because the people that are here, they care about what they're doing. He takes the, obviously he didn't grow up making this food, but he takes so much pride in it. And it's always, you know, good when people eat it. And I always say, Eating out at a restaurant or or eating food in general, it's an intimate experience. Like you're taking something that someone creating and putting it into your body and absorbing that energy and absorbing, you know, whatever it is from that. So Yes, and and you're right. A lot of restaurants that it's transactional. You'll they'll bring the food out to you, but (laughs) it's just not the same. You have to have that feeling of connecting with the food and the chef and the people that run the place. And that's not yeah. always the case. So yeah, that's good. Before I let you go, I want to talk a little bit more about caviar. Sure. What is the mystique about caviar? Because I introduced the podcast talking about caviar and its price, but what's the mystique about caviar? What causes people to be attracted to it and to enjoy it? Is there one or two things? I think I think just because it's always been something that it's it's caviar and champagne and it's reserved for the rich and famous and the elite and it it can be kind of intimidating for people who don't know anything about it because if you're going to go to a restaurant and pay $300 for an ounce of caviar and maybe you don't know if you're going to like it but it, there's an air of importance about it it's it's just one of one of those things so my goal with that is just to expose people to different ways to enjoy it and do it in a non-intimidating fashion where they can try it, see what the flavors are like, feel it out. And if they want to do these different types of services and stuff that we offer here, or take some home or, or have it shipped to them, then it's not this difficult decision like they're buying a house or like a car where it's like, you know, intimidating. So is there an unusual place that ordered caviar from you that you shipped to that you can think of? In other words, that you wouldn't expect an order for caviar to come from? Actually, no, not not that I can think about. I and mean, you know, we have. I think with COVID, our the the biggest thing that happened with COVID, which I was surprised by, is that our business obviously shifted more retail than wholesale. And I've just been very happy in the last couple of years that people are trying caviar more. It's becoming more accessible. I mean, obviously, the market is pretty saturated, just like every market, but 
I'm happy that people are trying it and people are, are the, you know, it's having a moment and people are coming to me and they're like, I tried caviar. I'm like, I don't care if it's mine or not. I would love for you to try mine, but just that they're not so like, I keep saying intimidated, but it's like an intimidating thing or, you know, it, it, it's only for special occasions. They're just exposing their palates to more things, which makes it, you know, easier, easier right. for me rather than having to explain all the d- details and everything. Is there a proper way, if that's the term, is there a proper way to eat caviar? There's a lot of, we talk about toast points and all kinds of ways to approach it. What's the best way to eat caviar from the expert? You know what? The most approachable way that people are used to is probably with the blinis, the creme fraiche, you know, all the different accoutrements like chopped onion, uh, egg white, egg yolk. I think that's what people are most used to doing with the caviar. I even like it, you know, just, just like a nice bread with butter and caviar. Like I'm more of just a purist in that sense. But I see everybody's getting really creative. I've seen like caviar tacos and chips with caviar. <laughs> oh, that sounds good. And caviar, you know, and <laughs> even I've done a, uh, we've done panna cotta with caviar, like not very sweet panna cotta, but like the creamy and the salty textures just go really well together. What about, how about oh, caviar? You know I, thought, go ahead. I thought about it. My, my parents actually went to, this was years back, but they went to Monte Carlo and they, they served our caviar to Prince Albert. So that was like probably the most unique. Yes, I would say so. That was a nice, that was a nice. (laughs) How about caviar ice cream? Do you think that could work? Oh yeah. We had, we had a client in Vegas that was doing a hazelnut gelato with the Ocetra on top. And it was, it was so unusual, but the hazelnut activated like the nutty profiles in the caviar. And it was just the perfect balance of like savory and sweet because the ice cream was kind of savory as well. Just lightly sweet. But, you, but have, you have to know the ratio or proportions to that, yes, right? They were good. And I've tried I've tried the caviar with uh, like truffle ice cream. There was a company in town that was doing truffle gelato as well, which was really nice. interesting. Yes. What about future plans for you? You're passionate about the restaurant. You're passionate about caviar. What are you looking for in the next five years or so? I mean, I'd really like to expand this business. I've been, uh, you know, e-commerce is something that's very new to me. So I, you know, I'm a little bit intimidated by it. And that's why I've been handling all the orders kind of the old fashioned way. But um, I'd like to be able to expand the website. I'd love for the Caviar Collective to not only be caviar, but kind of a lifestyle and and resource for people for different products and collaborations. And that's why we created the Caviar Collective box. So, you know, somebody does order caviar, it's like, how about Try this, uh, try this brand of uh, charcuterie, try this, like something different. And it all kind of goes together, even as far as expanding into fashion and that sort of thing. And I mean, I'd love, you know, someday to be able to do what you do and have a podcast and connect with people who inspire me and, and do that too. So it's a lot, it's a lot of, a lot of different, a lot of different plans, but, and especially with the, with the restaurant, I've just been focus more on like connecting back to my roots and showing people like my culture and expressing that and like creating these different experiences. So, Well, that's a great way to end it. My guest has been Nina Manchev, the caviar queen and owner of Caviar Collective, which ships nationwide and also the owner of Forte Tapas located in Las Vegas, which she opened at age 22. For everything about the Caviar Collective, go to caviarcollective.com and for Forte Tapas, go to barforte.com and follow both on Instagram. Nina, thanks for being on the show. Thank you so much. And join us every Thursday for a new schmear on Ira's Everything Bagel.